had an opportunity, Amy and I had an opportunity this weekend, yesterday, to, uh, to drive, to ride. And we were on the parkway and, and kind of maneuvering around western North Carolina. It was a lot of fun. We went through the town of Old Fort. You know Old Fort. It's right at the bottom of Black Mountain before you get on I-40. And as we came through Old Fort, I was struck by the fact that they already have the town Christmas tree up, and they have decorations all throughout town. They are ready. If you're ready for some Christmas, go to Old Fort because they're your town. They're good to go. It was November the 2nd, and they were ready. And it struck me as we went through, and we kind of joked about it and laughed about it, because we are in November. We're, we're in that time of, of the year when the leaves, have, for the most part, have fallen, where we've fallen back on the clocks and we've raised the thermometer up or the temperature up a little bit in the house. And the fight has begun between husbands and wives that will ensure or go through until sometime in May. We set our alarms early in the morning so we can wake up and turn it back down and... Pumpkin spice is everywhere, Trey, ruining perfectly good things like donut holes and coffee. Advent will be here soon enough. The first week of Advent is the first week of December, and we will enter into that time joyfully, expectantly, but before we get there, let's not miss Thanksgiving. We're in the month of November. And over these next couple of weeks, I want to look at Thanksgiving and gratitude and being thankful. Because God's love endures forever. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and accepting in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. There is a great amount of hurt going on. Who can doubt that that is true? When we're young, we feel invincible. Like many of you, I've, I've thought that this was a good thing, this feeling of being strong and brave, able to conquer any obstacle, because it gives the young the, the courage to attempt some great things. Someone, of course, remarked that it is a pity that youth is wasted on the young. By the time we, we gain the wisdom that comes from experience, by the time we have enough battle scars to show that we were there and enough t-shirts in the closet, <laughs> we've, we've lost perhaps that innocence and that carefree spirit that we had when we were young. Sometimes we gain that wisdom from the youngest among us. I ran across a story, Amen. <laughs> I ran across the story of a family who served as missionaries in Alaska, and some time ago, the young wife was diagnosed 
with a brain tumor. It came as a shock because she's young. And all outward appearances seemed incredibly healthy. But of course, as we know, as we know all too well in our body and our fellowship, that, that cancer is not a respecter of persons. The news was even harder in that there was no farther treatment possible for her. She was now starting hospice care. When the husband and the wife have both spoken very openly about their own journey, their, their journey through fear, through anger, through doubt, but coming through the other side, and, and yet deep down their faith has remained steadfast, and they continue to praise and give glory to God. Two messages appeared on their Twitter account, and the husband wrote that the stress is high on the family these days. Then there was this about their six-year-old daughter. On a positive note, a while back, Audrey stated that she thought heaven was a great place to go. She decided not to break up with Jesus. Smiley face. The smiley face at the end of that sentence struck me. What truth there is in that little emoji, that little symbol. That in times of great crisis, we discover what we really believe. So this family come into this great moment of truth. They, they, they smile through their tears because they know that they know that they know that God is good. Even now. Even in hospice. Audrey is correct. She is right. Why break up with Jesus now? We have to find out who, who God is so that we will be strong when, when the winds of sorrow blow against us. Because they will blow. So some good reminding, some good study, some good theology helps us in this. We can, we can see this principle at work in Psalm 136, which Rachel read for us just a minute ago. Sometimes called a hallelujah psalm. Because it, it contains no petitions, no complaints, no problems. Instead, it contains a list of moments where God worked in a real place and in a real time in a concrete thing called history. Each answered to the refrain, His love endures forever. No doubt in reading this and, and Marty and I were discussing this a little briefly last night. The, the, the worship leader would read the first line of each verse and, and those present would respond, His love endures forever. So a couple of things. First of all, the call to praise as thanksgiving. The psalm begins this way, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. These verses offer us three reasons to praise God. First of all, He is good. Secondly, He is the God of gods. And thirdly, He is the Lord of lords. Need we anything else? Culturally speaking, there are gods aplenty and lords all around us, aren't there? But there is only one true God who rules the universe. 
And to that great God belongs our best and our deepest and our highest praise. It is alone for him. Last week we talked about worship. It is an audience of one. Consider the meaning of these things. That one, he, he is truly the supreme being of the universe. And he's awful good at what he does. It's impossible to overestimate the value of these truths. We, we, can't, we can't overemphasize them. If he were not supreme, we would not worship him. We would be wasting our time. If he were not good, we would not trust him. But he is good all the time. And he is supreme. Because he is both good and the ultimate Lord, we not only trust him, but we, we bow before him in praise and in worship. Note the answering chorus in each verse of all of Psalm 136. His love endures forever. These simple words remind us that, that all things display God's love on, at work on behalf of us, his children, his kids. The Hebrew word translated love refers to, to loyal love, faithful love. You might call it covenant love. It's love that lasts because it's based on an unbreakable commitment, a covenant. It's the love of a husband for his wife or the love of a mother for her children. God's love is eternal because his covenant is eternal. He cannot not love his people, us. He can't not do it. That's incorrect English, Shannon. I know. That's a double negative. <laughs> I think. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. But the meaning goes beyond that. Not only can he not not love us, but this love endures. In other words, it, it outlasts all of the problems of life. It, it transcends the troubles that we face every single day. It, it goes on when our life comes to an end. It endures forever. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, no saint shall finally, no saint shall fall finally or fatally. Sorrow, sorrow may bring us to, the, to earth and death may bring us to the grave, but lower we cannot sink. And out of the lowest of all, we shall arise to the highest of all. What gives us this confidence to face, to face sickness and death? What can... How can we cross over from, from death to life? Well, we can because his love endures forever. That's it. You see, that's our hope. We die, but his love endures forever. We fail, but his love endures forever. We stumble and fall, but his love endures forever. So it is, in fact, called a praise. The cause for praise, secondly. The remainder of Psalm 136 contains a survey of God's faithfulness, beginning with creation, verses 5 through 9, and ending with Israel's entry into the promised land. That's around verse 10 through the end, through verse 26. So creation, verses 5 through 9. These verses follow the, the general pattern. This is interesting. In Psalm 136, these verses follow the general pattern of Genesis 1. Verse 5 parallels with, with Genesis 1.1. Verse 6 with 1-2. Verses 7 through 9 closely follows Genesis 1, 14 through 18. 
Note that the, the understanding and everything in it has been made by his understanding. He has created. He is a creator God. And he has made. It rules out purposeless evolution or blind fate. The universe came into being because, frankly, God willed it to be. That's how it happened. We can talk about how it happened or when it happened. It does not really matter. What matters is that God willed it into being and it became. Hebrews 11.3 states the same truth this way. By faith, we understand that the universe, the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The entire universe came into being by a plan that comes from the hand of Almighty God. Nothing was made by chance. God's understanding stands behind the universe as we understand it and see it and know it. And since the universe as it is rests on God's understanding, no one can understand the universe properly, properly excuse me, without knowing God. If we leave God out, then we've missed the fundamental truth about the universe. That it was created by him and for him. So in order to understand human origins and the true history of the universe, we must begin with God's understanding as he has revealed it to us in his word. If we start there, we start on firm ground. If we start anywhere else, then we begin to sink into the quicksand of humanistic belief. I think we all wrestle with these three great questions. I think at some point we all wrestle with them. Where did I come from? Where, why am I here? And where am I going? It might take on a different look. It might, it might be different for different people. But I think fundamentally, we all wrestle at some point in time in our life with those three questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? The first is the most fundamental. You see, until we answer it, we can't answer the last two appropriately and properly. The question is important because it forces us to confront the most basic, basic issues of life. If we didn't come from anywhere and aren't going anywhere, then all we have left is the 60, 70, 80, 90, however many years we spend on planet Earth. So why not just eat, drink, be married, tomorrow we will die? Why not just kind of have that mentality? Why get involved in anything outside of ourselves if this life is all there is? Why bother? If we were made in God's image, if he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, then nothing matters more than knowing God deeply, knowing God personally, and, non and knowing God intimately. We start to see some of this in verses 10 through 15. These, the exodus of Psalm 136. These verses recall the, the amazing series of miracles whereby God freed his people from Egyptian bondage. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. 
but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. You see, God has no trouble in defeating his enemies. He has no rival. He has no equal. There is no problem in defeating the enemy. He only asks that his people acknowledge that he did it and not them. So hard, isn't it? So simple. But it's so hard. Pride is so is so right here. Then in verse 16. The wilderness. The psalmist sums up 40 years of wandering in, in one verse. To him who led his people through the desert, his love endures forever. So many things happened during those 40 years. Manna and quail, water from the rock, Balaam and his talking donkey, Moses at Mount Sinai, the golden calf, Kadesh Barnea, the 12 spies, bitter water, bleached bones in the desert, complaining, continual challenges to Moses' leadership. But through it all, God led his people to the promised land. To him who led his people through the desert, 40 years summed up in one verse, his love endures forever. Interesting. Note that God led his people through the desert, not around it. To get to the promised land, they had to go through the desert. And so I think it will be for all of us. God leads his children along, but they they aren't necessarily all easy roads as we make the journey. Their detours, their switchbacks, delays, a couple of dead ends, a couple of cul-de-sacs that we weren't expecting. But God works in and through it all to see that we finally arrive because his love endures forever. Then verses 16 through 22, we see the conquest. We, we can find the story of, of Sion and Og in Numbers 21, back in the Old Testament, when Israel desired free passage through the land of the Amorites. Sion the king refused the Israelites and then attacked them, and he was soundly defeated, and Israel ended up occupying all the cities of the Amorites. And as they marched up the road, then there's Og, the, the king of, of Bashan, who marched out with his whole army to do battle, totally defeated. So they struck him down together with his sons and his whole army, leaving them no survivors, and they took possession of his land. That's Numbers 21, verse 35. What a strange encouragement (laughs) as we read this. What a strange encouragement these verses are because they remind us of God's faithfulness in spite of our repeated or my repeated failures. Somehow God's faithfulness isn't dependent on my Lack of success. It would have been easy for the Jewish people to think our sin has made God forget us. We have no hope. We have no future. We've blown everything. We've fallen off the precipice. But despite their sin and foolish unbelief, despite my sin and my foolish unbelief, God never gives up on his people. So every child of God, take great hope. 
Our past does not determine our future. Our predisposition isn't our identification because of a holy God whose love endures forever. We may have failed again and again and again, but there is still mercy again and again and again for those who trust in the Lord. Who knows but that tomorrow we may we may yet see God in some great victory in our life because his love endures forever. And we see this throughout history, verses 23 through 25. These verses contain three great truths about God. First of all, verse 23, that he remembered us, that he remembers us. Secondly, verse 24, that he, he freed us, he continues to free us. And then verse 25, he feeds us. He remembered us by sending Jesus to save us. He would make a way back. He freed us from our sins and he feeds us every single day. What God did for ancient Israel, he does for us as people everywhere, all the time, in every situation. Because his love endures forever. So yes. There is the cause for praise. There is the call to praise. And then thirdly, the conclusion of praise. Psalm 136 ends with a general call to praise God at all times. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. That's verse 26. So three points here in this conclusion. First of all, history is not about us. History is about God. It's his story. The name's in the name. It may seem elementary, but it is, it is in fact a profound truth. You see, we are not the center of history. God is. What happens to us matters, but the real point of life is to glorify God in all things. To see his hand at work, to believe him in the darkest moments, to give him thanks for every victory to lean upon his word, to, to grow more like him day by day, to live so that others find it easy to believe in him. It's why the psalmist connects the concrete facts of history with this triumphant cry of praise. And if we miss this, or if I miss this, or if I downplay this, or we think that God is somehow optional to our lives, that he's like an app we can just simply put in, then we've missed the very purpose of our existence. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the chief end. And this long recital of Israel's history, of something that really happened in a real place in a real time, the psalmist covers centuries of time in just a few sentences. God's plan was not always easily seen at every point along the way. When, when the Jews were groaning in Egypt under Pharaoh's whip, it would, it would be easy to understand why they could have felt abandoned by, by God. But still later, they complained against the Lord after they had been delivered at how much they missed Egypt. Remember the good old days? 
We pray for deliverance and then complain when it comes. It's like the joke of the family in the flood on the roof, praying to be saved. And the boat comes, and another boat comes, and a helicopter comes, and at every time they say, no, the Lord is going to save us. They all perish. They go to heaven. Lord, we trusted you. You said you were going to save us. He said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. We can understand how they missed it. We missed it. I missed it. How short-sighted I am. How quick to forget God's goodness to me. Pray for deliverance and then complain when it comes. I'm born wishing for something better. But this psalm reminds us in every single verse that God's ways and our ways aren't exactly the same. Generally, we will only see God's plan in retrospect as we look back and we say, oh, I guess no. But when we're in the furnace, we don't see anything but the flames. I think we need Psalm 136 to remind ourselves, because I'm so prone to forget it, that God's work across the centuries to establish his purposes on, earth, on this earth and, and that it, it's that this, whatever I'm facing on Thursday at 6.37 a.m., it doesn't mean that it's not there, but it doesn't mean that God's not active in it. He cares. He has cared throughout history. He is history. It just means I don't see it, that's all. And that's okay. We aren't the center of the universe. God is. And best that I should meditate on that fact now because certainly I'll, I'll need to remember it tomorrow. <laughs> and, and, and probably again on Tuesday. And if I'm being real honest, probably again on Wednesday night. Somehow our faith rests on facts. Isn't that comforting? You ever th think about that? That our faith rests on facts. The long recital of Israel's history teaches us that our faith rests upon the concrete acts of God in human history. A real God really acting in a real place in a real time and continues to do so. When Paul made his defense before King Agrippa in Acts 26, he concluded his statement regarding the death and resurrection of Christ with these words. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. It means something like this. Oh, King, you don't have to take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. The facts are there for anyone to see who has eyes to see and ears to hear. That's why the best answer to give a skeptic is simply, here's the word, read it for yourself. Read it for yourself. It's not a cop-out, it's excellent advice. It's the word of God. It does not return void. We have nothing to fear from the critics of Christian faith because our faith is founded on the great realities of the Scripture, a literal creation by the hand of God, the existence of Israel, the miracles of the Old Testament, the prophecies of the, the prophecy, excuse me, of the Messiah, and towering above everything else, the miraculous birth, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, 
and the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ and his triumphant ascension into heaven. Something that happened in a real place, in a real time, by a real God. It's facts. Our faith is based on fact. These things were not done in a corner. They were done in the open for everyone to see. Then I have to remember the big picture. In the middle of the furnace and in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the fight, his love endures forever. I have to say it to myself. I have to repeat the phrase. I have to, rem- I have to memorize it. When I feel tempted to despair, I have to, I have to remember his love endures forever. When I want to give up, when I want to... I need to write this thought down. I need to stick it on my dashboard right above the speed limit. Okay, maybe, maybe under the speed limit. I'm not sure. But I need to put it somewhere in there on that instrument panel that his love endures forever. Wives, you need to tell your husband that his love endures forever. Husbands, you need to tell your wives his, his love endures forever. Parents, you need to tell your children his love endures forever. Friends, we need to tell our friends his love endures forever. When the enemy himself starts whispering in our ear about what a loser I am or or how bad I am, I need to remind ourselves that God's love endures forever. We've had all we can take when the world seems to collapse around us. His love endures forever. No matter where we're going this week or not going this week. His love endures forever. No matter what our problems, his love endures forever. No matter how I feel about those problems, his love endures forever. Am I certain of it? Are we certain of it? That his love endures forever. Because God cannot change, his love for us will never change. Remind myself that we serve a God who acts in history. I need to remember that his ways are not my ways. Ponder his mighty power in the past. Consider how he's led me thus far. And think of the many promises he's made. Because church... Amen.